2: hi everyone welcome to dishing with digest i'm stephanie sloan editorial director here with mara levinsky executive editor hi everyone well mara some big casting news came our way we reported exclusively on soap that haley erin who played general hospital's kiki as well as young and restless's abby is going back to genoa city but this time in a new role claire grace who will be a new employee at newman so I think this is really fun casting. First of all, y and isn't really in the business of bringing back actors in different roles. Like for example, they do all the time on Days. Um, you know, Cameron Grimes would be an exception, but Mariah is Cassie's twin, so it's not so far off. Plus it's been 13 years since Haley played Abby. So I think it is like great time to bring her back and I'm so excited. Um, And it goes without saying, as a Daytime Emmy winner, Haley is a terrific actress, and I think will bring such a fun spark to the canvas.
0: I am so delighted about this. You know, I had the pleasure of getting to know Haley quite well over the years that she was on GH. And I think the world of her and have really missed her in the Daytime Universe Since she was last on Soaps, she got married and became a mom to twin girls. And this return to YNR also means that she is going to be able to share pregnancy wisdom in person with one of her real-life besties, Cameron Grimes, who plays Mariah, as you noted, and is expecting her first child. Um, So, yeah, you know, it is far more common on GH and Days to see an actor play two different roles, but it's not even unprecedented on YNR And I do think since she was like a child, uh, since she was last on the show, it really won't be too difficult for viewers to see her as a completely new character. And I cannot wait.
2: Yeah, that actually is a good point. I mean, she probably will just seem completely different. And there have been other Abbies, especially with Melissa Ordway in the role for so long since then that I feel like it won't be that much of an interruption for the viewers. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, as we previously reported, Jen Lilly is back on days as Teresa. We spoke to her for an interview in the new issue. And, you know, she says that she initiated her return after the death of John Aniston last year. Uh, She sent an email last December because uh, she felt that not only did John mean a lot to her but teresa and victor had a special relationship and that teresa should be there but she reveals that the show misinterpreted the email she sent as her wanting to come back full time and asked her to stay for 12 weeks which she could not do they managed a workaround and we will see some fun stories with her and a possible new love interest because this time around teresa will have her eye on alex
0: hmm Speaking of Teresa, we saw her big sister Eve back on Days recently in the form of Cassie DePaiva, and now Cassie is making another daytime comeback. She is heading to GH to reprise the role of Blair Kramer, which she originated on One Life to Live and played from 1993 to 2012 on that show, then made multiple appearances as, as Blair on GH that same year. Now, to know me, is to know that I am a Blair Kramer super fan from the way, way back. So I am mega excited that we are going to be seeing Blair again.
2: Oh, I am too, especially since we just saw her as Days and Eve, as you mentioned, and I just feel like it feels right to see her, like, back on the canvas anywhere, and hopefully it will be more permanent coming up somewhere. Um, you know, I love when shows bring people in for visits, as you know, and someone who is back for a nice long visit in Salem is Daisy's Rex, played by our guest today, Kyle Lauder. Now, Kyle has a lot going on, not the least of which is a new career, so let's check in and see how it's all going. Hi, Kyle.
1: Hi, Stephanie. How you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great.
2: Well, we are so happy to have you back. We have so many reasons to talk today.
1: So very many. Very exciting. I, I was trying to think of the last time that we did this, and I believe it was in studio. It was. 2008, like the fall of 2018 or something like that. Am I getting that right? Something like that? <laughs> I, had just, I just returned on contract to play Rex Brady. So it was, yeah, it was like the fall of... 2018 was the last time we did this so thank you for uh thinking that I'm still relevant I really appreciate it. well
2: that's actually twofold so 2018 was the first year of the podcast and you still hold the distinction of being our only in-person interview oh my
1: goodness is that the case that's great that I love is that.
2: so congratulations
1: thank you. Um, send me a certificate or something like that
0: I will it have t- it made it took up t- five years to recover from
2: the trauma
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: there is a lot going on with you starting with you are back in Salem uh currently on air for a storyline involving Sarah so how did this return come about
1: well um as you've probably seen or the viewership has seen uh, over the past few years I've been very grateful to have received you know sporadic phone calls um from days of our lives uh Rex has been pretty busy past few years which has been great and this was no different just uh my agent got the phone call and they said we got a a really great story arc coming up um you know what's your availability and i said for you guys i'm available let's do this and it, it was this particular arc was was really fun you know because obviously i got to work with Lindsay and paul and, and two of my favorite people personally and professionally um so yeah we um I think all in all, I was there for, for a few months, and the uh, the story is airing right now. So it's a, it's a good one. I'm excited for people to see it.
0: Well, what does it mean to you, just generally, that the show has written Rex in so often?
1: It means a lot. You know, this is, I've said this, you know, ad nauseum many, many times uh, to you guys and other people that you know Days of Our Lives is the first job I ever had. Uh, I was just 19 years old, as green as anybody could possibly be. In the entertainment industry, and Days of Our Lives, you know Ken Corday and the powers that be, they, they they took a shot on me, and I just feel like I've always had this gratitude and this loyalty to the show for that. Not to mention the the people, both in front of and behind the camera. Um, as as cliche as this sounds, they're like family to me. So I always you know love seeing their faces in the studio and working with them and and all of that. So uh, to be. You know, on the show 23 years later uh, playing a different character uh, even more so, which is, which is bizarre. Um, I it mean, it means the world. Absolutely means the world. The show means the world to me. The people on the show mean the world to me. And um, you know, showing up at that studio and getting to work has always been one of my favorite things to do.
2: Well, for someone who did play Brady for your first run from 2000 to 2005, but now you've been playing Rex for a bit, you know, does Rex come naturally to you now? Do you even think about Brady anymore when you're, you know, at the studio?
1: (laughs) It's a great question. Um, Now it's, now it's totally normal. Uh, I think we even talked about this, as we just said, on the last podcast we did, it took uh, playing Rex did take a little bit getting used to just because he's, he's worlds different from Brady, you know, Brady, um, as viewers would know, Brady was kind of the—I mean, he started off as a bad boy. If you remember that early on, you know, the early 2000s when Marlena. He was not and Brady.
2: nice to Marlena. No, I was just going to say. Very vividly. I was,
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, when Marlena and Brady were at each other's throats, but but um, after that, you know, the the relationship with Chloe softened him and uh, became kind of the soap opera good guy, the hero, so to speak. Um, you know, could do no wrong, so to speak. Rex, you know, is a philandering like, nightmare when he came on <laughs> on the screen. Um, and we talked about this, and I believe in, in interviews and, and a feature that we did once or, you know, blurbs here and there that it was tough to get. It, I, I saw what Ron was doing. You know, Ron, you know, had a, a slow burn going for the development of this character for me, for Rex. Um, and obviously, you know, that 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 slow burn got cut really fast. So we were kind of, Rex came onto the scene, you know, obviously engaged to Sarah and we're like, oh, you know, Kyle's back. And there was kind of a, you know, a pomp and circumstance from the fans, which meant a lot to me. Um, And all of a sudden, you know, oh, Kyle's back. Rex is back. Rex is engaged. Oh, he's a doctor. Good guy. No, 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 no. Right away, we found out that he's been cheating on Sarah. I think cheated on her with her own sister. And fans are going, what the heck? Like, where are we going with this? You know, why? And even me, I'm sitting here going, okay, I know what's going on. Ron's, um, you know, he's got a slow burn, like I said, going where Rex comes off, you know, a, a little bit on the negative side and there's a redemption that, that will probably be happening down the road. So the fans will start maybe loved to hate him and then they'll be like, oh, he's been redeemed. Well, that got cut a little short. So Rex kind of came out of the gates as just, you know, a cheating um, a hole. Um, <laughs> And then fans were kind of like, oh, man, this is we don't like this. So for me to kind of transition, that was a long way of me saying that that the transition from playing kind of a hero, good guy on Days of Our Lives to to doing a lot of scenes where I'm getting slapped or yelled at or, um, you know, getting in fights with my brother, whatever the case may be. It was it was an interesting transition. But, you know, I I was up for the challenge. I I do enjoy a good challenge uh, in my work from time to time.
0: All right. So story-wise, at the moment, Rex is claiming to be the father of Sarah's baby. How would you answer the question, what is his motivation?
1: He loves her. He is hopelessly, hopelessly in love with Sarah. Um, You know, he, I would say that he's always loved her very deeply. Um, And he he knows that he messed up big time. He knows that he blew an incredible opportunity with her for a marriage with her and a life with her. And I mean, I don't want to say it's just about making up for that. It, it definitely is about making up for that, you know, his cheating ways. But it, he also never stopped loving her. And and so it's a way of, I think it's twofold. Um, in in one way, he sees how stressed out Sarah is um, because Xander is the father and Sarah does not want Xander to be the father. He doesn't want Xander, she doesn't want Xander to have anything to do with her or her baby. He sees that. Um, and, um, and wants to be there for her and and protect her and the baby. And as he said, um, you know, on the air show, he said, look, I'm here for you and the baby. I don't want you to worry about a darn thing. You know, um, we are, think about it. A judge is not going to award custody to Xander, a convicted felon. You and I are respect, you know, respected doctors. Uh, we will get full custody. No one will ever know. So on one hand, he's saying, I'm going to help you out here because I can see how much you're, you're freaking out about this. Um, I'm going to make it okay. The other part of it is yeah, he still loves her and even though um it's not his kid, this is and I don't want to say that he's doing this in, in a manipulative way, but he also sees it as an opportunity to marry her, <laughs> actually get the get the job done this time and actually marry her and and have and have a life with her. So, it's twofold there. So that's why he's really all in on this.
2: Does he feel bad at all that, you know, Xander is the father of this child and doesn't know? No. <laughs> yeah, like,
1: no, like no he as we know he, he and Xander have had a a serious albeit comical at times uh relationship on you know on the screen um he hates he hates Xander he just can't stand him and the idea of you know he's lost Sarah to Xander multiple times you know trying to get back into Sarah's life and Sarah chooses Xander over him this is his way you know a little I was going to say friendly competition It is not friendly at all, but it's just competition with Xander to, you know, to thumb his nose at Xander and say, she's mine now. Um, so no, he has no reservations about this whatsoever. Um, he truly believes that he is doing the right thing. Um, even though it, look, it's controversial. It's you keeping the, uh, you know, the, the true identity of a father away from a child. It's not, I, I personally don't recommend that. Um, Rex is not even thinking about that. He's, he's here to protect Sarah, to marry her, to live happily ever after. And I think his, as we've seen before, his judgment kind of goes out the window when he gets his mind set on something. So that's what's going on right now. No remorse whatsoever.
0: Right Do you think he's thought through the reality of raising the child as his own of, of someone that he detests? So much.
1: I th- it's a great question. I I don't think he's gotten that far in his reasoning process, to be honest with you. I, I think that you know Rex, for better or for worse, has always been kind of like a, a, a ready shoot aim type <laughs> of person. You know, he's kind of like this is what I want. I mean, hence the the cheating. You know, early on in his relationship with Sarah. I mean, he's he's kind of a live in the moment guy um, to a fault. And and that's exactly what's happened here. He sees an opportunity. Again, I don't want to say it's manipulative. He truly, truly does love Sarah. But I think that the as the cliche goes, that you know, the love has blinded him to some common sense here, to some morality here. And he sees an opportunity to help Sarah to stick it to Xander and to help himself at the same time by saying we can be one happy family like we've always been. Just kind of forgetting about the fact that you're you're doing something that, um, you know, is immoral and maybe even illegal.
2: <laughs> well, we'll see how that works out for him then. We'll see
1: how that pans out. <laughs> yes. um,
2: well, yesterday we saw the beautiful on-air tribute to John Aniston in the form of Victor's funeral, which you were a big part of. But let's start with your relationship with John Aniston. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, that was... John's fasting hit me pretty hard, just like I'm sure, you know, everybody on the show, but I can only speak for myself. And it was, it was very difficult for me. John was, God, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating and stuttering here because it, there's so much to say and I'll try to keep it, you know, relatively short. Um, he was like a, like a, a second father to me, a grandfather, a friend, you know, all of the above. When I got on the show, I was like I said earlier in the podcast, I was 19 years old. I didn't know anything about anything. Um, You know, how to hit your mark, find your light, memorize lines, much less act (laughs) and do a good job, Um, you know, and try to keep my job on the show (laughs) at the same time. And, you know, people like Deidre, Drake, and then, yes, John Aniston were there for me. And John, anybody that knew John knew that he was his sense of humor was was arguably one of the best you would ever come across. His dry wit was unmatched, um, and he he made me so comfortable. Is what I'm trying to say, and in, in a in a new setting for me that was very nerve wracking and and riddled with anxiety and stress. Um, he just he made me laugh, and you know even physically just put his arm around me and just that he's you know it's a big man with his big arm around me and and just kind of in his own way saying it's going to be okay. Just kind of follow me, and I'm going to help you and he helped me become a better actor. Um, and again, it might be cliche to say this, but not just a better actor, but a better man, a better human being. Um, he was always there to, to make me laugh and, and give give teaching moments, but never condescending teaching moments. Um, yeah, I, I really can't say enough about him. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was you know madly in love with his daughter, of course, for many years, especially after meeting her on Friends and uh, <laughs> kidding, <laughs> tongue in cheek but it's yeah i i i did always joke with him that i was you know cuz since she married Brad Pitt obviously years ago and i said you know Brad and i kind of resemble each other maybe a little bit do you think that uh you know when they unfortunately parted ways i said do you think i have a shot you could put in a good word for me so but he but he was just always i say i say that because he was he was always a good sport with that and with anything so i miss him i miss him a lot and uh, i i was so happy that i did get a chance to um Obviously not say goodbye because I didn't know he was passing, but just to have kind of one, what I view as kind of a good closure moment. We had a long, the last time I saw him was at the studio at work and and um, we had kind of like a relatively long at work, you know, probably 15 minute catch up session and all the way outside the makeup room and and uh, gave him a big hug. And uh, I'm glad that I had that opportunity to do that.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to put myself in your 19 year old shoes. I get to the set. I'm out of my depth, as you said. And then John Aniston is there. I feel like I would be very intimidated, like as warm as he is. Do you feel like that was a, there was like any sort of slow build there or a hurdle you had to get past in terms of- Oh yeah, I,
1: I actually, this is a true story. My lips to God's ears. This is this is true. I So I was, the first time I met him, I didn't even have the role yet. I was in, um, I was doing a screen test. For Brady and I was in one of the dressing rooms, and I was watching the feed, you know, from the stage that they're shooting, and you know he's doing his Victor Kiriakis thing, and it's so insanely intimidating, right? If anybody who ever saw this, and so I'm watching this, going like, my God, this man is terrifying, <laughs> and and then I get the role, and then all I remember is watching his Victor Kiriakis character shtick, you know. So I remember my first scenes with him ever. Yes, Mara. I, I walked out on stage quite literally, shaking in my my boots, um, and just a big smile and an extended, firm handshake. And um, well, you know, as big as John's smile was, it was always that wry, that wry smile that that uh, anybody who knows John was that that just confident, wry, charming, dashing smile of his. You know, with its pencil mustache and the whole thing. And whereas a pencil mustache, at least then, it was. Um, But he made me feel immediately comfortable to answer your question. Um, It was very intimidating. And um, let's put it this way. He did his best to make me feel comfortable. I was still, I was still, uh, it was an outer body experience. I really don't remember if I got all the words out. Apparently I did because they took the scene and and made it to air. But um, yeah, he was, uh, that's who he was. He made me feel comfortable, and thus was the beginning of a wonderful uh, on-screen and off friendship with him. And I
2: I think the one takeaway that probably everyone has mentioned, including myself, was just his sense of humor, which I feel we didn't really, we saw through Victor and his one-liners, but John himself was such a, just had such a dry wit. And I feel like that was also intimidating in and of itself until you knew that about him, you know, to kind of navigate that um, dynamic
1: did he, he you're exactly right it, ta- it takes a minute to know when he's joking and when he isn't because he never cracks his smile when he jokes you know there's the idiots like me who as I'm joking I'm like get it, get it? <laughs> and, and he like he just like he <laughs> never did that he just he was as stoic as can be while he's telling a joke I mean I remember the you know I'm not going to do this justice right now because like I said I'm, a, I'm an idiot when it comes to comedy but um he would I would do a scene and it was, he would finish and you know there's kind of some right before you know they'd, they'd yell cut you know and, and then right afterwards he'd look at me and he'd just be like you want to do that again and I was just like what do I do I want should I do that again he's like I think you should do that again and I was like what and he's like I'm, and then he's just like no don't worry about it you're fine but it, it's <laughs> and then I'm then I'm Oh, yeah, you know, he's like, you want to do that again? And I'm just like, no, I think it was good. He's like, you sure about that? And I was like, yeah, I I think so. He's like, okay, whatever you want. (laughs) And I'm like, John, I am very emotionally fragile right now. I'm brand new here and I don't know you that well. (laughs) It's like, Anyway, it's but yeah, you're right, Steph. After a while, then you can throw it back in his face once you get to know him. And he was always a good sport about that as well, you know, because Ari and I, Ari and I had a good friendship with him and his wife as well. Um, cause when Ari and I, you know, who plays Nicole, Ari on Zucker on the show, we were married, um, and, uh, you know, would see him off, off camera, off set or whatnot. And Ari and, and John had a long, their characters had a long marriage relationship and a lot of the funny one-liners and the, and the stick and the slapstick even sometimes between Ari and John was just because of their friendship. And a lot of that was either ad-libbed or just kind of thought of on the spot, um, so, yeah, there was a whole lot of that with John. He really, he he stuck to the script and he was a, the, the consummate professional actor, but he also knew when to slip in his own, his own um, thing, if you will, into the character.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, given how uh, long your association with John was, what was your reaction when you heard that you were going to be part of the on-air memorial for Victor?
1: It meant a lot to me. It really did. Um, I'm almost... Happy that I my character Rex was not chosen to for right you know rightfully so it was Rex Rex and Victor Kiriakis didn't really have a thing, <clears throat> but um I, I'm lucky that Rex was not chosen to to give a speech at Victor's funeral because I don't know if I'd be able to make through, make it through it. Um, I my hats off to everybody all the actors who were playing the characters that did have to speak you know at, at, at quote unquote Victor's memorial um funeral. Um, that made it through it with, with you know without losing it because um, it was a very it was that was such a I don't, don't want to I'm sure we're going to get here I don't want to segue just yet if you're not ready for that yet but it was it was a very surreal moment shooting that because it was it was obviously we were shooting Victor's funeral but it was like John's funeral memorial um, so all of the reactions from the actors um, were real and genuine including my own it was um, it was a rough day rough day. Cause you know, like he, he had two funerals, the real one for John Aniston and then the on-air one with Victor Kiriakis.
2: Well, that was the next question, really. How would you describe the mood on set and yeah. you know, how did it feel to be a part of that?
1: Yeah. I, it, again, it, it really meant the world to me. Um, as, as everybody was viewers and, and um, people who worked on the show alike, you know, once John did pass, we were all kind of wondering how this was going to, you know, <clears throat> be handled or, you know, we you know, would Victor live on forever mysteriously somewhere? Or was he going to be, you know, were we going to do a funeral like, you know, Victor Kyriakis has passed like John Anderson. So, you know, we found out that there, you know, the character of Victor Kyriakis would be passing away and there would be a funeral. Um, I think we were all kind of wondering how that was going to go down. And I think if I were to do my best to describe it, you know, on a whole, yes, it was a rough day, but I think the day kind of went, fairly much how john's personality was there was a a mixture of you know stoicism and um and seriousness but uh, but also humor mixed in because that's again it's a cliche to say but that's how john would have wanted it i i truly believe you know it's one of those things where i'm sure if he was you know witnessing that he'd be like why is everybody so serious (laughs) so and that's that was just his endearing quality but it was a it was a somber somber um energy on the set um mixed in with some, some smiles and, and some laughs and some, and memories of good times with John and and things like that. So, um, it was very, very special to, to be a part of it. I'm, I'm glad that I was, that I, that I was there.
0: Are there, um, performances that stand out to you when you think about.
1: Oh my God, everybody, that Episode. everybody, everybody who got up there, Eric Martzoff, um, Wally Kurth, um, oh, I don't want to leave anybody out. Just anybody that, um, any actor who went up there to do their their speech um, was so moving, so touching. I can't even I can't even describe it because again, I, I I don't know this for a fact, but um, I knew if it were me, how could you not think about John as you're talking about Victor? It was so close to home, is what I'm trying to say. So I was, um, and all of those takes were one takes, and that is a true story. Nobody got up there trying to quote unquote act, you know, perform like overdo it people just got up there and read these beautifully written lines um, did it in one take. And it was so real, so authentic, organic, genuine, all of the above. And um, I was truly impressed by everybody's performances that day.
2: Yeah. We had Rachel Melvin on last week and she said that she didn't see the monologue for her eulogy until the night before when she was about to go to bed. She had missed that uh, page in the script.
1: Yeah. So I and, I me- it. and I remember she said that too on set and, um, I think, look, from an actor's standpoint, without getting into acting 101, when you're really connected to the material, you just kind of kind of look at the lines that they wrote and then and they make sense to you and then they flow. And um, I'm sure that's what, you know, what she experienced as well, because uh, she did say she's like, I just got this last night. and We're like, (laughs) what? Really? Um, But everybody was like that. Truly, truly um, special to be a part of it and to witness it.
0: Mm -hmm. Um. So do you remember leaving that day? like did it was there any feeling of closure or catharsis <clears throat> would you say in
1: Yeah, it was funny. Um, actually, it's not funny at all. Uh, interesting, I think is the word because it's definitely not funny, Kyle. I don't know why I said that, but I felt like I had closure you know after John Anderson's funeral. Um, you know I was kind of like, goodbye, old buddy. you know it was a privilege to know you and thank you for being amazing with me, you know, blah, blah blah. And then I just felt like, you know, that wound was, was reopened, <laughs> if you will. So I did, um, it was reopened for when we were shooting the, 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 days of our lives funeral, I should say. But, uh, yeah, it did. It opened the wound a little bit. And I I think I had closure, the sequel, uh, <laughs> when I, when I left the studio that day and driving home, it was um I honestly, it was, it's, it's never a negative thing when you're thinking about him and the memories that I have with him. You know, it's, it's sad because, you know, you're not going to hear his voice again, or you're not going to be in his presence again. But um, it's it's never a bad thing when you're recalling great times with that man. Right.
2: Well, the great thing is the episode is airing on Peacock, so it could be watched at any time by anybody. And I encourage everybody to check it out. And um, over
1: and over and over and over
2: again. Indeed. Um, now, Kyle, in real life, you have made some <clears throat> big changes. And we're going to start with the biggest, uh, your new job as an anchor person. So tell us the story of how you came to work at KTBN in Reno. Um.
1: My goodness. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was quite the whirlwind and I'm sure, you know, people that are, people are still asking me about this. They're like, you know, how, like, how, what, like, what, explain this, you know? So I, I can, you know, I've, I've told the story before, again, I'll, I'll try to make a long story short and get, you know, right to the, to the points We're on here. a
2: podcast. Tell us the story. All part. right. All right.
1: <laughs> so, you know, during the and this is all relevant. I'm not going to go off on tangents. But three years ago, during the pandemic, uh, you know, Ari and Sean decided to to get a beautiful house in Lake Tahoe, California, right on the state line between Nevada and, and California. And um, over the you know past three years, uh, Izzy and I you know Izzy's still went to school in L.A. So you know, Ari would come back and forth to commute. Uh, to work on days of our lives. And, and Izzy, you know, obviously was still going to school down in Los Angeles and what have you, but uh, you know, on, on our time off holidays or, or any, basically any chance we could get up there, Izzy and I would go up to the house in Lake Tahoe, whether it was skiing in the, the wintertime or water skiing in the summer or boating, Sean and I have a beautiful boat. Um, you know, it's a beautiful home with a dock in the backyard. So it's just very, very, um, outdoor recreation oriented lifestyle up there, both, you know, all four seasons and it's, excuse me, it's paradise. So I'm saying all that to set the scene because after about three years, Izzy and I, um, have to unfortunately leave Lake Tahoe to go back to Los Angeles. And then Ari comes down to shoot days of our lives. And after having spent probably 10 days up there, Um, now, granted, this is a whole nother story that I won't get into, but this was a very well thought out situation by Izzy, um, as much, as mature as a 13 year old could possibly be. She approached Ari and I and said, you know, in her own way, she said, what would it look like if I lived up in Lake Tahoe full time? And of course, you know, Ari and I are thinking, well, you know, we got to check out the school situation, you know, also kind of explain it to Izzy you know, visiting Lake Tahoe to go skiing or boating or, or what have you is, is a lot, is, it, it's different from actually living there, going to school there and having a life up there. And it's definitely, you know, it's a small town kind of atmosphere. And, but Izzy explained that, that she, she feels like she resonates. I'll, I'll just use quotes. She says her quote unquote, her soul is happy in Lake Tahoe, that she resonates with small town life. I grew up in a small town. She has visited my small town of Pleasantville, um, in, in New York, just North of Manhattan. Um, she had mentioned when she was there that she, she quote unquote, digs the small town life. Again, it resonates with her. So fast forward to, we looked at the school situation, the, the soccer situation, just the whole, the whole situation itself. And it turns out, wow, this could be a great thing for her. So Izzy is going to finish school in Los Angeles and then move to Lake Tahoe. Ari and Sean already live there. So here I am the last man standing in LA and I'm sitting there going, well, gosh, Izzy's, got five years left before she graduates high school and then goes off to college or just goes off to do whatever she is going to do. And I said, that's a limited time to just be driving up or flying in or just visiting, you know, whenever I can, that's I've never been that, you know, it's a personal thing. I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong or good or bad, but for me, that's not good enough for me to just be a visitor in my kid's life. I want to be there to pick her up from school, take her to school, go to her, her soccer games, um, be there in in every sense of the phrase so but i'm thinking well what the heck am i going to do for work up there you know i'm not you know can't retire at this point in time i'm only 42 and you know what uh, i've only ever worked in television my entire life you know television and film and the entertainment industry and the there's not exactly an entertainment industry up in lake tahoe so um i really i, I was getting stressed out about it so but i kind of put it on the back burner. And, but I set a very firm intention and just, you know, whatever you believe, I just threw it out into the cosmic universe. And I said, look, I want to live as close to my kid as possible to be in her life and, and everything I just said. So however, wherever, whenever um, I'm open, just get me there. I will do my part, but send me something and, 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 and uh, you know, an opportunity or, um, uh, a hint that I can take action on for an opportunity, whatever it is. So I'm thinking to myself one day, I'm laying out, you know, by the pool, and as again, <laughs> cliche as it sounds, it hit me like a ton of bricks or a bolt of lightning. I said, "All right, deductive reasoning here, Kyle. What's the closest city, like larger city, to Lake Tahoe? Okay, we got Sacramento, and that's about two hours away. Oh, Reno. Oh, Reno's like less than an hour. It's like 45 minutes. Okay, well." they've got to have a television industry there. All right. Maybe it's not scripted television, but it's broadcast news. Um, then I'm going, <laughs> I've never been, I, I don't have a journalism degree. I've never been a news anchor. Um, this is a dead end. Then I'm like, you know what? No, it's not. And then it came to me. And I said, look, just jot down what you feel about this situation. And so I said, look, um, I don't have any journalism experience. I I don't have any, obviously don't have any on-air anchor experience, but I do have television experience. This is the, I've, I've been in the business of storytelling through the medium of television for 23 years. I'm very comfortable in front of the camera. I've always known that there are people on the other side of that lens and I'm very comfortable on a TV set and, you know, given an opportunity to learn how to be, um, you know, to sit at that anchor desk, um, all I'm asking for is, an, you know, an opportunity. So I transferred that thought process into into kind of a cover letter. And I was as, as, humble and respectful um, as I could possibly be because I was humble and respectful, you know, reaching out to these networks. Um, Cause the last thing I wanted them to think was who's this LA actor who thinks he can just come up here and be a news anchor. And I want, and I, I decided that I wanted to throw that out myself to just kind of put that to bed and say, I realize that I'm, you know, from Hollywood, I've, I'm, I'm an actor, but again, ultimately the cover letter was, was, written from the heart. I also said, look, my daughter's is, is moving up there. I'm coming up there with or without a job. I would love it to be with you, <laughs> you know? So I was just expecting, well, I wasn't expecting anything. I was hoping for at least one call from, you know, from one of the news I reached out to. So I sent that cover letter and a resume to uh, NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox, all the the affiliates up there in Reno. And uh, it was a resume and a cover letter and a cold email. I was able to track down the emails of these. Um, you know, if you need me for uh, any stalking work, I'm uh, I'm available.
2: Inc- I'm very impressed with your detective <laughs> skills here. Kyle.
1: But uh, I was able to uh, I was able to find the emails of, of the news directors of these networks, and I and I just cold emailed them. And uh, within a couple hours, I got an email back from from ABC and CBS. And, um, the CBS was funny. Jason Pascoe is my news director at CBS here and KTVN. And I think the, I don't want to make this up, but something to the effect of the first line in his email was, is, are you serious? Is this a joke? Like, is somebody putting me on? And, um, again, I'll fast forward a little bit. Basically, um, ABC and CBS, uh, both said, we'd love for you to come up. We'd love for, we'd love to meet you. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put you in front of the camera. We'll do some camera testing with our anchor up here. Uh, and uh, oh, I'm forgetting a part, serendipitously, they both were looking for, they both had openings on their morning broadcast, okay? Wow. And I should have said this before in order, but I was hoping that, you know, I could do some kind of a morning situation so I would have my days free to, again, to pick Izzy up from school, go see her soccer games, or just, you know, be present. So I'm not, because a lot of, you know, TV news has that weird hour, you go in at noon and you're, you're done at like 9 p.m. and like your whole day's gone and, and that's very common, And look, I would take whatever I was given if I was given anything. Um, But I'm saying, look, if I had my druthers, I'd love the morning show. Yeah, you got to get up super early and we'll get into that in a minute. But um, but, you know, you're done in the morning. And aside from any reporting duties I might have predominantly during the week, I have my days free. So back to what I was saying, both ABC and CBS had openings for their morning broadcast. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is insane. So um, I set appointments with them back-to-back days. It was like a Wednesday and a Thursday. I drove up to Reno from LA and had my meeting with ABC on Wednesday, meeting with CBS on Thursday, did some camera testing, met the news director, the station, you know, executives and and assistant news directors and the co-anchors and everybody. And, you know, I've always, you know, I'm a very, anybody who's ever known me, I'm a very cards-in-the-table authentic guy. And I was just very... truthful about why I'm reaching out to them and just trying to show them that I am very humble and and just looking for an opportunity. You know, I was expecting maybe I just, you know, train or something for a while and see if I can get a shot at the desk, you know, at some point in time, you know, or do some reporting duties or what have you. Um, But uh, that was Wednesday, Thursday, I get home uh, over the weekend, Monday morning, first thing, I get a phone call. Um, from Andrew Perini, who was the vice president and station manager at uh, the CBS affiliate there, KTVN, with an offer. And then three or four hours later, I got an offer from ABC. And I was like, what is actually going And <laughs> keep in mind, from the time that I... So it was early May when I started to panic a little bit because Izzy's school year is coming to an end, which means her summer's coming up, which means she's going to town. And I was going to be... I, I had these, these, you know, depressing visions, you know, the empty bedroom at the top of the stairs when, you know, my daughter is not, she's, you know, up in Tahoe with mom. But granted, she's with mom and Ari and Sean and, and it's all good, but I'm not there. So that's when I started to panic. That was in early May. I got these offers May 20-something. So this whole, this whole thing kind of like materialized in three weeks. All of a sudden, I go from early May, not knowing what I'm going to do, to end of May, I'm moving to Reno <laughs> and I gotta, you know, I gotta upend up my life and, and get up there. So, um, so grateful, so blessed, um, so shocked at the same time. Um, but yeah, so I, I called both of them and, and said, look, um, again, my cards on the table thing. I said, I, I do have multiple offers here. Um, this is not a negotiating ploy. But um, do you mind if I take a few days to kind of figure this out? Because this is a big deal, you know. Because they both they both were offering, you know, multi year contracts, and I wanted to make sure I was going to the right place. So, without getting into all the due diligence stuff, um, I did my due diligence and, re- and research and what have you, and ultimately CBS was the way to go um, at KTVN and uh, accepted the deal by the end of the week, and that was again like end of May, and I. Moved one month later, locked my door in Calabasas for the final time, uh, June twenty first, and uh, yeah, I've been uh, up here living the living the life. I have to say, I'm I'm very very happy with everything. I'm I'm in an industry that I am falling in more and more in love with every single day. Um, but I'm sure you have questions in terms of I live a very bizarre existence. If, if you if you want to if you want to start on that. Or if you want and me to well, answer it. Wait,
0: I want to start with what was Izzy's reaction?
1: Oh my God. She was she was so excited. Because again, you know, she, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but but something to the effect of she was like, you know, Daddy, I, I'm gonna miss you. I really hope that you can because i I was I was very honest with her about me saying, look, I I want to get up there as soon as I can. I don't know how this is gonna happen, but um, you know, we'll make we'll, we'll figure it out. Um so Again, without putting words in her mouth or thoughts in her head, what she was explaining to me, she was hoping that I could get up there sooner, sooner than later. So, you know, my elation for this situation and my gratitude was definitely shared by her and excitement at the same time. So, yeah, she was absolutely thrilled. And to that end, I've been doing this now. My first uh, day at work was June 20 something. Um, So what? July, August, September. Almost, you know, two and a half months, almost three months. Um she it's everything that I dreamed of you know I can get down there and and you know she started school and I pick her up from school and go to her her games and um I go to Tahoe you know I have to I have to live here in Reno just because again we'll get into this momentarily but I get up at two and two o'clock in the morning so um I have to live as close to the studio as humanly possible which I do I I live up at uh, thankfully, Reno is not the biggest city in the world. It is the biggest little city in the world. It's That's what it's, they call themselves and it's very true. But I only live about 15 minutes away from the studio up in the kind of in the foothills of the Sierra Mountains, beautiful place, but I can't live in Tahoe because that's a little too far for me to, when you're getting up that early in the morning, every minute counts and I wanted my commute to be as short as possible so I could sleep longer. <laughs>
2: I I don't know which way to go to first. What's your schedule for the day or how did you approach this new job? So let's start with the first steps of the job. So now you've never been an anchor. You're now hired. You've done some tests, but then what? Like how did you prep? How was day one? (laughs) Oh
1: my God. Yeah, it was, it was, can I not be, you know, it's what everybody says, but it's a whirlwind. It absolutely was completely overwhelming because, look, I am like I've, I've started, quote unquote, new jobs where I'm doing a, a new film or I'm doing, you know, a guest star on, on a television show or I'm doing a stage show, um, you know, like I did Rock of Ages in Las Vegas or whatever. That's still within the realm of acting, something that I've, you know, performing, something I've been doing since, you know, I was in middle school and then professionally for over 23 years. Right. This was an entirely different genre, career career entirely different so i think the i had to get over the mental hurdles first of like the imposter syndrome situation um so it was not just showing up to work and learning learning an entirely different craft or trade if you will um it was it was getting over getting out of my own way mentally that like dude they hired you you know you you can do this all of the you know staring at myself you know in the, in the mirror spewing affirmations at myself you are powerful you are <laughs>
2: <laughs> you are good enough
1: <laughs> you are knuck. oh my god no so it's um yeah it was we'll get into you know how I started and then we'll get into my actual schedule in the day which you know is why I'm single and probably will remain so for the foreseeable future <laughs> um but yeah getting into uh getting into it was look you just it's like anything else um I'm full of the clichés today but you just got to jump in the pool if you want to learn how to swim and that's what I did I said dude just get up go to work and be a sponge and I I made sure that I went to every single veteran there it was a veteran producer director anchor obviously the news director Jason Pasco has been there for I think 17 16 17 years in this position then he was a but he's been a news director for over 20 so I Surrounded myself with people and made sure that I politely engaged in conversations with people that know what they're doing, that they know they know what they're talking about, um, and you know, veterans of 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 this industry. And um, I have to say, everybody was so unbelievably warm and welcoming and extremely helpful. But it's like anything else; you just got to do it. You know, um, they they put me at the desk immediately and i had to learn how to um you know it's not people think that that being a news anchor is just about sitting in a chair at a desk and reading a teleprompter technically yeah that's what you're doing but it is infinitely more complicated than that um you know you have to learn how to write stories to rewrite stories work in conjunction with the producers in terms of you know story blocking and stacking um there is a lot of jargon on the teleprompters a lot of language that I had to learn because, you know, like OTS over the shoulder, that typical shot of the anchor sitting there with the, with the graphic over their right or left shoulder, you know, so you know where you're positioned on the screen, you know, when a two shots coming up, when your solo shots coming up, whatever, how to, you know, glance over at the monitor really quick to see what, what the, the audience sees. So I'm, I'm not like looking down at the tele, at my, you know, at my notes. So they see the top of my head. It's, there's a lot of moving parts is what I'm trying to say. You also have, you know, an IFB, which is an earpiece where I can talk uh, to the producers or they can talk to me or the director throughout the broadcast. Um, sometimes I'm, you know, reading a story and we have breaking news. I have the producer in my ear. I'll give you a quick example of this. When Tony Bennett passed away, um, I was literally reading a story and in my ear. Now, the producers, in their defense, they, they try not to do this because it's really difficult to speak whilst and listen to somebody at the same time. Um, so I'm reading a story and, you know, I, I have the producer of my ear. She says, breaking news, breaking news. Tony Bennett just died. We really want to get to this story ASAP. We want to break it here before, you know, the other, the other networks do or whatever. Um, she's like, I'm writing the story right now. And Kyle, we're going to stay on you camera three and, and you're going to read it. And it's going to be what's called a cold read, which means that I, I'm reading somebody else's writing holds live on air. Meanwhile, as I'm reading the story, I'm getting all this information in my earpiece. So I'm trying to listen to her while, while, and not because the, the instinct when somebody starts talking to you is to stop talking and listen, can't do that. So anyway, I digress. The point I'm trying to make is there's a lot of moving parts and it's, and you don't really, you can't, you can read about this. People can tell you about this stuff, but until you actually are doing it, it, you got to jump in the fire. And that's what I did. They had me at the desk. I did practice broadcasts, starting with five minutes all the way up to a half hour, you know, where um, I had to learn transitions and, and, and then, oh, by the way, you're not just reading, you have to tell a story. You know, it's, you can tell the difference between somebody who's just reading something and somebody who's trying to communicate information. Like you're talking to your friend or your, or your parents or perfect strangers, you know, and this is a skill is what I'm trying to say. It is a it is a is a skill that I am still learning on a on a daily basis. Um, I will say this: my comfort level in front of a camera and you know in front of bright lights on television um, really really helps. And this is what the um, you know uh, the news director Jason and the assistant news director uh, Aaron were they were telling me this. You know when they said we hired you. Because, look, we can we knew where we were confident, they said, that we could teach you how to to be a, a great news anchor over time. What we can't teach, you know we let's say we hire somebody fresh out of journalism school, whatnot, what we can't teach is a comfort level on screen, an authenticity on screen, uh, a charisma, if you will, um, where it makes the audience feel comfortable, like they're they're hearing, from a commanding, authentic um, voice that knows what they're talking about, and they're turning to this news person for their news and, and what they need to know in the world, and in their, and their, you know, in their town, their city, the nation, the world, whatever. Um, like you came to us with that comfort level that, and I'm using their words, not mine, but they said you came to us with that charisma, with that comfort level, with that presence on camera that we can't teach. So we knew that you were kind of halfway there already. And that's what they told me to lean into when I first started live on air. They said, "Lean into what you already know how to do. The anchoring and the, and the and the technical skill set will come to you, and you will learn that over time." So, about two months in, I feel like I'm you know, look like anything else. You can you should continue to grow and get better and better and better for the rest of your life. I know I will. Um, but I'd say that about two months in, that I'm I'm very comfortable in both aspects of it. Definitely with my presence. On air and uh with a technical skill set as well. But full circle to to answer your question again simply is that I just I threw myself in a the fire, they threw me in the fire. I was supposed to have three weeks of training, they put me on after a week and three days. Wow. <laughs> they said you're impressive. ready. You- yeah. They said you're ready. And I was like, No, I'm not. And they said you're ready. <laughs> so um yeah, we got through it. We got through it. That's all that matters.
0: <laughs> Kyle, leaning into what you know, has there been a temptation to do a dramatic pause at the end of a news story or to <laughs> refer to your co-workers by how you're related to them, their first and last name <laughs> at all times?
1: Oh, my God, you didn't. Yes, the pause, the soap opera pause. Uh, no, to answer your question, I think that I... <laughs> I think I think during this podcast I'd be talking about how I started as an anchor and I was fired two weeks. (laughs) Um, The uh, no, definitely not, definitely not. You know what's what's interesting? There is um, like like anything else. There there is a way of you know soap opera has its ways of of doing things. Like you said, I mean, I think the long pause before commercial break. I had to learn how to do that when I came on Days of Our Lives at 19 years old, 23, 24 years ago. You know it and and it's it's freaking awkward <laughs> to begin with you know you cuz the camera is 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 zooming very slowly but if you're standing on set it's just crickets it's dry dead air crickets you you can't see the camera zooming so you just got to stand there and stay in character and and you're like god this is weird um but then it becomes second nature after a while after a while um i will say you know with broadcast news it's um the easy part for me i should say is just to be real. Just to be real. I think that when you are trying to put on a show, um, it's disingenuous, um, and and you can turn people off with that. So I think the easiest part for me has just been to do my homework, do my research, know the story, know what's going on. Um, you know, lean into my producer to write good copy, and then you know, uh, write good copy uh, myself. And get to know the story really well, and then authentically communicate it to, to the people through through the camera lens and through the medium of television. Um, and that's what I feel is I, I'm I'm best at is just doing my research, doing my homework, doing my homework, and um, and authentically communicating to people. So there's no, um, <laughs> I know you're saying that tongue in cheek, of course, but uh, I do miss some of the creative dramatic license that you can take in soap opera. Which I, God knows, I've taken that license. too many times
2: (laughs) well now tell us about a typical day in your life as an anchor person
1: well my particular day um this because this is who i am as a person but it's also kind of a necessity i think is my my day is lived with military precision (laughs) like clockwork because it all comes down to me getting in bed and sleeping by seven which i haven't i haven't 7 p.m because i haven't the last time I went to bed at 7pm, I think I was in second grade. So like, getting to that point where it's 7pm, and I'm tired and can fall asleep is a full day's worth of of prep. (laughs) So um, basically, the alarm goes off at two two o'clock in the morning. And uh, I immediately get up and I turn all of the lights on in my house. (laughs) Because it's like you need, even though it's not sunlight, I need you need to get light um, look for anybody who's woken up, people say, wow, you get up so early. I said, it's not early. It's the middle of the night. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's not early in the morning. It's, it's, it's like early, early in the morning starts at five, like anything, <laughs> anything before five is middle of the night. So, um, <laughs> in my humble opinion, but yeah, the alarm goes off <laughs> at 2am. I immediately get up, I go and, and I throw the lights on in my bedroom, in the kitchen, the living room. And I I go to the Keurig and the coffee starts brewing. And then, um, you know, jump and take a cold shower. By this point, you know, my body is screaming at me, but it's awake. Um, Eye patches go on, (laughs) under the eyes. And, uh, you know, then I open, you know, I go out on my, uh, on like my big, big old patio with kind of a nice view of the the foothills. Um, And I go outside and I just breathe some fresh air and drink some coffee and just, because I don't want to start the day frenetic at all. So I'm getting up at that, at that hour is kind of body shock enough. So now that I'm up, I sip the coffee. I I kind of take a 20 minute, you know, sip the coffee and breathe the fresh air and just kind of wake up now naturally. So probably around, I don't know, 2:30 or so. Um, I start, you know, I've got to put it. That's another thing too, is I, I don't just get to put on getting up early for, or, you know, going for early calls and on, on movie sets or days of our lives or whatever. Granted, it wasn't that early, but I could show up to work in sweats if I wanted to. Like, I got to put on a suit and I got to look presentable, um, both, you know, clothing wise, but also, you know, face wise. Like, I, I have to look, I can't look like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want people to be watching the broadcast, looking at me going like, is he okay? Like, does he need to, <laughs> like, like, I don't want to look like an anchor that, that looks like he needs to be hospitalized, you know? So I, I, I have to, you know, freshen, freshen up. So, put on the suit. Um, coffee goes in the uh, to-go container, and I'm out the door at three. It only takes, like I guess, about 15 minutes to get to the studio. I'm in the studio by three fifteen. Um, finishing touches on the hair, makeup goes on, and then I sit at my my desk and I immediately start reading copy because the producers and the director have been there overnight. The producers and director of the morning broadcast get there at 11, and they work to, they work through the night to see any breaking news stories that happen through the night. Either locally, nationally, internationally, or whatever. And they comp- you know, they're they do what's called stacking the show. They're basically figuring out what are the lead stories, what stories do we want to tell today? A lot of stories, you know, kind of get taken out or put in all the way up to broadcast. It's kind of like a living, breathing thing. So I sit at my desk and I immediately start reading what they have written so far to get comfortable with the copy. And uh, if there's any rewrites that I need to do. To- you know, to make the story flow out of my mouth a lot easier. Sometimes I trip over some words, I'll change a word here or there, or um, if there's a story that I particularly like, you know, I can suggest it to the producers and say, Hey, I've been, I've been following this one. Do you mind if I write some copy for this and see if we can get it in the show? So I do all of that from, you know, about three until four, um, three 15 till four, about 45 minutes or so. Um Then I, you know, put the tie on the jacket, put the earpiece in, and um, I go out to set. And I open up my laptop on set, and I see kind of what last minute changes they got going on. And uh, we go on air at uh, four thirty a.m. live. And again, have to, you know, we're saying good morning, everybody. So we're not, we can't be. It's not in the job description to be tired or to look tired. So we 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 get shot out of a cannon at four thirty a.m. and we go all the way to seven. And uh, like I said, the newscast is a is a constantly changing, living, breathing animal, and so you got to be on your toes for for two and a half hours there. So I'm pretty mentally and emotionally beat uh, by seven a.m. And then what my my co-anchor and I do is so at seven a.m. the national show comes on. So CBS it's CBS mornings. NBC would be the Today Show, or ABC would be good, you know Good Morning America. Uh, so CBS mornings every half hour, um, they do what's called a cut in, where they go to the local affiliates throughout the country, and we do like a five minute uh, news and weather update. So if I'm I alternate with with Andy Casanary, my my co-anchor with this, but on days that I do cut ins, I I stay till nine a.m. at the show, so from seven to nine. But at that point in time, if I don't have any reporting duties um, to kind of or, or shows to um, to think about or work on, um, I get to go home, and I. At that point in time, I definitely, you know, make some breakfast here at home. And then I, I'm, I've i been a meditator for years. And what I immediately do after I eat breakfast is um, I I sit down and I meditate for an hour, maybe sometimes two, just because I need to, I want to slow my brain waves down. I want to slow my heart rate down. I need to not just relax, but really relax. Not where, relaxed where I'm sitting on the couch, scrolling through my phone, Or, you know, or anything like that. Uh, Definitely not watch the news. I just got done with that for two and a half hours, you know, um, and I will get into it later in the day. But, you know, probably up until lunchtime after breakfast, I'm really just taking some me time because I need to recharge. It's like seeing your when I'm done with the broadcast, it's like seeing your phone with one percent battery. That's how I feel.
0: (laughs) Right.
1: So I got to I got to plug myself back in again and charge up. Then I have some lunch and then I, I I check my emails from work to see if there's anything that uh, I need to know with regards to the you know, to the network. Um, I turn on the news, all networks go on my phone, look for anything that's that's breaking in the world and in, in the country locally, and um, start taking notes about you know what's going on or any, any stories that that I'd like to to write about or pitch to the producers or or whatever. And I do that for a few hours. And uh, if I have any errands to run, I'll, I'll, I'll do that, of course. But uh, then another non-negotiable thing for me is the gym. I go to the gym and I work out hard for an hour because I got to take care of my body. Um, after the gym, I'm probably, that's when the countdown starts. I have to be home from the gym at five, non-negotiable. So I'm home from the gym at five. I meal prep all of my meals. Occasionally, if I want to go out and, you know, go out to dinner, I can do that. It's a lot easier, but I'll meal prep my meals. Um, so all I got to do is microwave, like a chicken breast and, and some rice and broccoli or something like that. I eat like a bot, like a fitness athlete or a bodybuilder. It's kind of the same thing every day and healthy and whatever, but I eat from like five to five 30, um, five 30 to six is when I shower and shave. I shave the night before. So I don't have to shave early in the morning. Cause I don't know if anybody's tried to put a razor anywhere near their body at 2am is probably not a good idea. Um, so, and it's time consuming. So anyway, I shower, shave from like 5.30 to 6.00, comfy clothes on, all of the shades in my place, because it's summer, you know, end of the summer, it's still light out till about 8, 8.30. So all the shades are closed in the house, and uh, maybe make a little nightcap, to be honest with you, and forthright, maybe a martini, maybe a Negroni, just a, a boozy cocktail that I'm pretty much known for on social media. And um, watch some mindless television, maybe some Netflix, maybe read a book, um, but just wind down for about an hour and by 7 p.m. I'm I've been doing pretty good with this by 7 p.m. I'm pretty I'm not exhausted, but I'm i am pretty tired enough so I can fall asleep and uh, haven't had a problem with that as of yet. Knock on wood. Um, but I'm in bed by seven. And then we start it all over again at 2 a.m. Wash, rinse, repeat Monday to Friday. I do have the weekends off, which is great. Um, like I said, uh, nine times out of 10, uh, make the short drive to the lake and be with my girl and uh, Sean and Ari, of course, and, and have a relaxing R&R weekend. You know, during the summer, it was on the boat. During the winter, we'll go skiing on the mountain. And yeah, just try to get maybe eight, nine, 10 hours of sleep, you know, over the weekend to kind of recover. And then I was we'll gonna start say, over.
0: Do you have to maintain something of the same sleep schedule over the weekend in order to maintain it during the week?
1: I tend, what I've been doing is I haven't been getting up past six on the weekends. So I'll go to bed at like 9 p.m., maybe um, 10 10 o'clock at the latest. I don't want to get any less than eight hours when I have a choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't, honestly, my eyes have been opening up at two, three o'clock in the morning. Anyway, for obvious reasons, but I'll go back to bed um, and I'm able to fall back to sleep, which is great. But by 6 a.m., I I want to get out of bed because I don't want to, I definitely do feel a Monday hang, even getting up at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning and Sunday morning, I do feel kind of a hangover on Monday morning with that. Um, Monday mornings are, are difficult to get up at two. Um, it gets, as you can maybe imagine, it gets progressively easier as the week goes on to get up. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I quote unquote, I sleep in till six on, on the weekend. <laughs>
2: right. Amazing. Well, okay. So what does this mean for your acting career?
1: You know, as of right now, um, if I've learned anything in, in my life, it's, it's, I'm a never say never guy It goes with, with, with everything. I really live by that. So I can only and again, to to at the risk of sounding dramatic, I'm also a live in the moment guy, and I really, you know I have visions of my future and what I'd like my future to look like. And obviously, I'm a very nostalgic person, and i I maybe sometimes am too too nostalgic looking back in the past. But predominantly, I live here now. and here and now, um, you know, acting is just not even an option for me whatsoever. I'm too I'm too mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, embedded in this exciting new career and craft, if you will, um, and gr- and growing as a news anchor. Um, it is my number one priority, obviously, because, you know, um, I was given an, an, one hell of an opportunity to do this and and I want to do right by it. and I want to do good by it. You know, what started out as, you know, trying to find something that I could do for work that I, you know, was at least fun so I could be near my kid has turned into kind of a new lease on life personally and professionally. So all my eggs are in, are in my broadcast journalism basket right now. However, um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends and contacts in the entertainment industry that have reached out um, when they found out about this news and said, come on, buddy, you know, I love to work with you. You know, if I got a role for you that requires maybe a couple days of, of filming or shooting, you know, can, can I fly you down to LA maybe on a weekend to, 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 you know, to shoot some scenes or, you know, if days of our lives or, or, or any, you know, soap, or what I'm trying to say is if anybody called, it would be a, you know, it would be an in the moment, you know, schedule permitting situation. Um, and if, and, you know, I'd have to go through to not to get technical, but I'd have to go through my contract with a fine tooth comb, or maybe just ask the station to see if it's even, I know there's obviously exclusivity clauses in there. Um, So look, if I'm allowed to do it and I have the time, um, why the hell not?
2: Well, it sounds like the network would be more willing if it was Rick Forrester, maybe popping back into b beige just throwing that out there. And anyway, so it's, <laughs>
1: well, so it's, it's
2: the same family.
1: I was, I was going to say, guys, it's CBS. You know, we're not we're not, you know, uh, we're not crossing enemy lines here. So right. what do you what do you say? Yeah. I, again, I, I made that sound really complicated. At the end of the day, um, I'm always open to anything. You know, somebody wants me to do something. um, all I got to do is ask, we see if I have the the time and and the um and the blessing and if so, um I'd love it. I'd love it.
2: Well, I mean it's amazing to think that you came out of college, you joined this business in 2000, you know, professionally, and here you are, you know, all these years later with a complete, you know, pivot in your life, like when you look no. back on that kid, could you ever have imagined that he would be here today?
1: Oh at- my god. Seth, I have that's such a great question because um I think it's human nature anybody would would think about that. I mean, I've I have definitely had those those WTF moments. <laughs> where I'm like 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 I can I can paint a dramatic picture for you because that's what I know how to do. Like just I remember before I started broadcasting, I was a couple nights before where I could, you know, stay up a little bit later than 7 PM and, and just standing out on my balcony, looking at the, you know, the foothills of the Sierras up here with a martini in my hand, just kind of with the wind in my face, I'm just trying to paint the scene. If you can't tell it, just having my mind wander to what is ex- exactly what you were just saying. You know, it, it's going, God, what a road, my God. And, you know, and, and the people that know me know that it's not been a, it's not been a, just a steady upward trajectory. I've been up and down and everywhere in between. I've always been down and out, you know? So it's just reflecting on, you know, I'm not going to do this justice. I'm going to try. One of my longest, closest, dearest friends um, said to me, he's like, dude, I've watched you seemingly come back from the dead professionally so many times and personally, even. And this is just another example that you are a cat with nine lives, you know, with this, you have been like, my God, I'm again, his words, not mine. He's he's saying, I'm so proud of you. This is, this is insane. He goes, you have the weirdest resume I've ever seen in in my entire life. And, and so my point is it's, it's friends like that. And you, Steph, just asking that question that, that, that have helped me kind of put all of this into perspective that yes, a 19 year old kid who drove cross-country from New York to L.A., all all that kid ever wanted was just to be an actor, a professional actor, to just to pay his own bills, you know, being a professional actor. And then from Days of Our Lives to Bold and the Beautiful, and then, you know, again, my whole career, and to repeat, the ups and the downs, um, to arriving in this place where I've always had so much respect for journalism, for broadcast journalism. I've been a news watcher since I was a kid because of my parents, you know, whether it's ABC, Nightly News, or or even the Today Show was always on in the kitchen in the mornings and I've always had so much respect for journalists. Um, I don't even call myself a journalist right now because I don't have a degree in journalism. Um, I have, I'm somebody that was given an opportunity and and I feel that I owe it to not just my superiors but I owe it to this business to to make good on that opportunity and to show this business the respect um, that it's been given me so far. And that's why I'm working my ass off to be the best anchor, the best journalist that I can possibly be. And maybe, you know, someday soon I will earn the title of I mean, look, it says journalists on my business card or anchor. But, um, you know, I it's something that I feel I still have to earn and, and in the process of earning. But full circle to your question, Steph. Yes, I've come a long freaking way. I just celebrated <laughs> my 43rd birthday. I'm not afraid to say that out loud. Um Blessed for every single second of it. so grateful. and, uh, yeah, I have a new lease on life personally and professionally up here um, as a news anchor and living in this this beautiful part of the country and the world. so i'm I'm uh yeah, it's, i'm I'm speechless now, just thinking about it. just very your grateful. your
2: cup is very full. That's yeah, it,
1: it 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 runneth it runneth over, as they say. Yeah, definitely.
2: Well, it's
0: an incredible story. It's such an awesome new chapter for you. We're so happy for you.
1: Thank and you. Obviously,
0: loving it that we still get to see you on our daytime television, where permitting. Yes. Um, well, this time has flown by, but before we let you go and potentially start winding down, um, <laughs> what message do you have for? Uh, your fans from the daytime world who are listening to you tell this remarkable story.
1: I would not be, it, it, this is this is going to sound like a rehearsed answer because I jumped right in there, but no, this has got reaction. I, I, I would not even be sitting in that anchor chair without those fans because my success, you know, in daytime drama was because of the fans and the love and support that they have shown me for 23 years. Um, I would not be able to have the career uh, in soap opera, without those fans, the longevity um, to continue to work in that genre up until very recently, um, again, well over two decades without the love and support, like I said, from the fans. And because of that career in television um, and what do you want to call it experience, notoriety, what have you, was what got me in the door. To the job that I have now and the career that I have now. So I would say that the fans, the daytime fans, or or any fan of mine out there, um, I I owe you I owe you my career. This is I would not be here without you. As dramatic as that sounds, that is the absolute maybe even directly or indirectly. I my career is just as much the fans as it is mine. So um I can't begin to to try to I'm I'm stuttering, I'm trying to put into words my my level of gratitude, but um yeah. They are—they're everything to me, and I—and I can't thank them enough.
2: And they can actually see you in this new endeavor. So tell people how they can watch you in Reno, even though they might not be there.
1: Yeah. So this is this is such a great feature. Um, our particular station has a live stream, so um, I think it's awesome. My parents watch me. They—my parents get the news, which is bizarre. Now that I can say this, my parents get the news from me. Uh, from and they live in Missouri, in St. Louis, Missouri. My brother. Uh, in Denver, my youngest brother in New York, uh, Steph Sloan. I believe you've tuned in a couple I have of times indeed. Yes, from I have. New York. Um, I've and and honestly, people not just people I know, but I get direct messages all the time from people literally across the country, from you know Seattle to Miami, Phoenix to Maine. Like it's. And everywhere in between, um, I'm so blessed, I'm so humbled by by people writing me messages on Instagram, um, emailing me at the station, um, saying that they watch me from across the country. So this is how you do it. You go on 2 com. Okay, very easy to remember, 2news.com. But it's the to number- the number. See, 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 Seth, you're the actual journalist in this conversation. <laughs> I got to, I got to spell that out. It's the number two, number two news.com. Or if you have an uh, Android or, or an iPhone, actually don't quote me on that. I don't know if it's Android. Check if you have an Android, but it's definitely iPhone. They have an app and it's the two news app. Again, the number two, or you can you know search KTVN two news uh, in the app store. And, um, so either on the website or the app, they have a live stream, and it's very easy to to find. You just hit the, the the in the menu, you hit the word watch. You know, it's like <laughs> trying to make try to make it as easy as possible, and then you'll see the box right there that says live stream. You hit play, and um, here's the cool thing. And I'll uh, so obviously we're on from 4:30 a.m. to 7 a.m. Pacific time. So that would mean seven thirty a.m. to ten a.m. Eastern time. So it's 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 all live because again, quote unquote, it's a live stream. But here's the cool thing: if you're on the West Coast or anywhere for that matter, after seven a.m. Pacific time, they loop the broadcast again all day until our broadcast at four at four p.m. Pacific. So it does. It honestly, you can either watch it live or you can watch a a replay of it all day long. But if you're so inclined to get your news from moi, then uh, go on the live stream. They have wow. it available.
2: I do encourage everyone just to check it out because you are terrific in this new endeavor as well. Oh
1: my God. Thank you. Steph. Uh, you were I, I, you were one of the first people, if not the first, because you're on East Coast time, huh? to uh, send me a very, very <laughs> lovely, uh, very lovely message that, uh, that I was doing a good job. And boy, I needed to hear that at the time. So... <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> So thank you. I do appreciate that.
2: Oh, well, you hit the ground running. So again, Kyle, we thank you for your time. Have an amazing day. And we hope to have another reason to talk to you soon.
1: Uh, listen, you you ladies um, have been there for me for so long. Steph, in particular, literally since day one of my career um, <laughs> at 19 years old. Uh, I've told the story before, so I won't get into it. But basically, I was a 19-year-old kid sitting in the conference room at the Days of Our Life studio. And we both had Syracuse University in common. It was a great icebreaker um i've known you since then and you have been by my side ever since and still are um so and mara you you guys have been such fans of mine and supporters and i can't thank you enough for that so i don't care what time it is or when you know i'm always here here for you ladies so um thank you i'm going to uh i'm going to do my meditation now like i said because it's only 9 20. Um, I've had a full day. day, So we're good. (laughs) You have indeed. Well,
2: enjoy and talk to Get some rest. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks again for having me.
2: Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Kyle Lauder for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.